Friends, we are in a new year. Happy New Year. 2022, here we go. Let's pray that this is a good year, right? You know, a New Year's, as we all know, is often accompanied by resolutions, new goals in our lives, new initiatives to help improve some things, such as this tummy that got built up over the last month of holiday food. Some of us are thinking about fitness at this time of the year on how to shed a few pounds and, and maybe even gain a little bit of strength. Some people during this time of the year are thinking about how to go from a six-pack to a six-pack, <laughs> right? And how to, how to strengthen our bodies and, and do things in this new year that will help us establish better habits, better rhythms, better health. And so I wanted to help us really dig into scriptures and to see how to build our inner identity. And that's why we're talking about having a new year and a new you. Not just physically, not just uh, in your family life, but spiritually as well. When fitness experts talk about uh, building strength, a lot of us actually think about trying to build up abs or maybe our, our appearance and so that we would look better. But fitness experts will talk about the importance of strengthening your core. And there's benefits for strengthening your core. That'd be your abs, your back, your lower back, uh, your upper thighs, uh, strengthening your core. And there are real benefits for that. Uh, number one, it decreases pain and injury. When you have a strong physical core, you reduce the pain in your life. I know I'm thinking about that a lot. As we age, we need to keep it fit in our core so that we can reduce the pain and risks of injury. Another benefit is that it helps us with overall performance. We can walk better when we have a strong core. We can run better. We can move and bend over. We can stretch. Our flexibility is better when we have a strong core. Third, we have a longer life. It's been shown that, generally speaking, that when you have a strong, fit core, longevity accompanies that, that we live longer, a healthier life. And then fourth, really, it just helps us to improve the quality of our lives. We feel better. There's uh, less pain that is accompanying us, and we're, we're able to just enjoy life in a way that we weren't able to when we're not fit and strong in our core. So there will be a lot of people this new year that are thinking about how to strengthen their core. I know that's partly on my mind, and that's why I share it with you, because I'm relating the two. <laughs> but there is a core to who you are that is even more important in your life that will help reduce pain in other ways, that will help to improve the quality of life and your performance in life, in your relationships. And that's all about your identity. And so over the next number of weeks here, about 10 weeks here, we're going to be talking about your identity and what scriptures has to say about that. And today's statement is, you are known. 
Every week, we're going to have a you are statement from scriptures that I'm hoping that we would embrace and live out in our lives. And today, that statement is, you are known. You are not who you always think you are. You are not always who other people say you are. You're not even all the things that you believe about yourself. It's who you are is about who God says you are. Only God can define your being. Now, we go about and try to shape our lives according to our goals, but oftentimes they are misled, misguided. But when we look to Scripture, when we look to the Lord for what He has to say about us, that's when we really strengthen the core of who we are. Now, that's why I'm beginning with this passage from Psalm 139. I want to invite you, if you wouldn't mind, if you grab your Bible and let's open up and look at that together. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick up the Bible from in front of you on the pew back there. It's on page 444. And I want you to hear this message. As we read through Psalm 139, God sees you. He understands you. He knows you to the core. Now, oftentimes, we think of this idea of God knowing me, and we put a little bit of a guilt twist to it, a little shame twist. God knows me because God's watching me, right? We think of God in that terms, his knowledge of us in the terms of God's watching me so he knows all my sins. That's kind of how our minds think sometimes. He knows everything that's wrong about me. But I want to shift that perspective a little bit here and, not, and encourage us to not just think of God knowing us as God sees all the bad things that you're doing, because it's so much more, so much richer than that, so much better. And so we're going to look at some key words in this passage that are important and helpful. And the first word we're going to look at here is in verse 1 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And you're going to see the word know kind of repeated throughout. But I want to focus on a few key words that help us understand what that knowing is. And the first is searched. Now, this word search is uh, about exploring, searching out, discovering, examining, considering in detail, and analyzing to discover essential features. Okay? Searching. Now, some people will do... Uh, today, uh, when you want to learn about a subject, uh, a common way that people will learn about it, uh, there are two basic ways. One is Google. You go to Google and you type in your search term, you want to learn more about this. Another way is a library. I mean, you love going, to, I love going to libraries. I love going to bookstores. And you can search anything you want. You can research the topic and study what these experts are saying about this particular topic, and then you can read the sources, the references, and it will lead you to another book that has even more important things to say about that subject. In Google, you can do the same thing in similar ways, but you actually also have to be really careful about what you find on Google, on the internet, because it's oftentimes tainted with lots of people's just random opinions about things. 
But when we think of searching, we think of going out and trying to understand everything about the subject. This part, this part, this part, and how they all fit together. God searches you. He looks at your heart. He looks at your thoughts. He sees your behaviors. He sees your family. He sees your childhood. He sees your traumas. He sees your stressors. He sees your personality type. He sees your strengths. He sees your weaknesses. He sees your friendships. He sees all these things, and he's searching all these things about you and your life. He's exploring. Have you ever thought about that, that God is exploring you? He's understanding every piece of who you are. And that's intentional because he understands how it all works together, which leads us to this this next one. In verse 2, the word I want you to note is perceive. He understands all the pieces of who you are and how they fit together and why, why you behave in certain ways, why you make these types of decisions in your life, these common mistakes, why you pursue these passions. He understands all these things about you. He perceives you. When you think of someone who's perceptive, what do you think of? Someone who's insightful. Uh, You know, therapists, counselors. My wife is one. She's perceptive. She can have a conversation with you, and you can talk about things in your life, and then she can put the pieces together. Like, oh, I know why you're doing that. As you're telling me this story, have you ever thought of, how this connects with that. That's what God is doing here. He perceives your life. He sees how one thing leads to another and understands that. The third word here is in verse 3, and that's to discern, to scatter is the word here. It's really interesting. This one is the most interesting one to me of the four that I'm looking at. When God is discerning you, it's a picture of scattering information out, dispersing, fanning it out to be cognizant of individual pieces of information. Uh, I think of uh, something that we just did over the holidays, a puzzle. Anybody do a puzzle, <laughs> right? Anybody do a, yeah, you did a puzzle. This, okay, great. So you, you, you take all the pieces and you fan them all out, all over the table, Right? And then, and then what we do is we take the, the flat edges, of course, we separate those out, and we, I bi- like to build the, per, the, the borders first, try to put those all together, and then you kind of find sections of the puzzle that work together, but you see all the pieces together, all the pieces together, and you, your goal is to, as, you know, as people here, our goal is to see where this one fits and where this one fits, and God does that with all wisdom, he scatters everything about you out, and he sees each piece about who you are, and he's cognizant of every aspect, every point of what makes you, you, and what has led you to where you are today. 
The next word to look at is hem me in. This is in verse 5. In verse 5, I've got to put my glasses on so I can read it. The author says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This phrase, hem me in, is an interesting one. It's usually used in more of a military sense. Think of a, an army besieging a city. Uh, an army besieging a city comes on all fronts uh, as, as possible. The front, the back. They try to take the city uh, from its weakest points. It's, you're surrounded by your enemy, so to speak. Well, it's a similar sense, but God is not our enemy. He's using this phrase to help us understand that God sees our front side and he sees our back side, our blind sides. He knows uh, what we're moving into and he knows where we're coming from. He's encircled us. Another way of understanding this word, uh, is, this phrase, is to think about making your bed. Do you make your bed in the morning? Let me see. Who, nod your head if you actually make your bed in the morning. Okay. Shake your head no if you don't make your head. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I don't like to make my bed. <laughs> and sometimes people will, uh, when you're making your bed, what do you do? You have to go on all sides and you tuck it in. And you, you straighten it all out on the, on the, at the headboard and at the foot and on the sides and everything. Some people will just quickly throw the blanket over and it's good enough, right? Some people try to hide and make it look like it's made when it's really not. The sheets are not tucked in or properly laid on that side or that side. Or you're hiding something underneath it. This phrase that is being used here is that God has tucked in all the sides. He understands what this part of the bed is like and what this part of the bed is like. He knows why this part is messy and this part is clean. I also think of this phrase as a, as a way of a, a mother hen tucking in her eggs, right? Or baby chicks, tucking them in, pulling them in where it's warm. And I think that's a, a real important image to have. When God sees every aspect of who you are, it's as a mother hen tucking you in, pulling you in, saying, I know. I know this about you. I know this about you. I see this part of you, and I want you here. I am on every side of you. You think I'm absent here. You think I'm absent here, but I am with you in every way. And you know what is really fascinating about all of this? Is that God sees you, he understands you, he hears you, he knows why you think the way you think. He knows why you do the things you do, and he still loves you because you are known. You are fully known, and he still loves you. He still accepts you the way you are. There's a story in this book here uh, by Jeff Van Vonderen, 
uh, it's called Tired of Trying to Measure Up. And in chapter 4 of this book, he talks about Mary. Mary has a, a difficult relationship with her mother. And her mother is about to die. She's uh, been diagnosed with a very uh, serious form of cancer. And she lives across the country. But she, her mother's well enough to still travel. But she knows that there isn't much time left. So her mom is going to come visit her. But their relationship is very difficult and very strained. You see, her mother was always very, very particular about how the house was kept, about how children must behave, about uh, every aspect of how they dressed, their manners at the table, how they interacted with their friends or with other people. She was very particular. And Mary never felt like she was quite good enough for mom. Never felt like it. And she always had to put on her best self for mom. Not just for other people, but even for mom. And so their relationship grew distant over time. But now with this new diagnosis, mom wants to come back and, and come visit Mary. Now Mary's lifestyle is very different than her mother's. Mary's very laid back. Her house is often a mess. Uh, her, she wears clothes that aren't very uh, fashionable or, or particularly well-pressed or, or formal, very casual. Her kids are kind of messy and always kind of getting into things and playing and often and kind of loud. It's a very small house. And so she's nervous, but she sees this as an opportunity to reconcile with mom. And she wants it so badly. So mom's coming to visit, and she's wanting to make this a big moment in their relationship to reconcile. And so she knows, though, that mom is a certain way. So she recruits a friend to help her. Come help me clean up my house. Put some new paint up on the walls. Mary went out and even bought a few uh, new shiny dresses. And when mom arrived, they had great conversation. They even were able to reconcile and to find forgiveness. But as Jeff, the author of the book, tells the story, after mom left, Mary came to him and was explaining, I, I still feel like my mom doesn't really know me. And she doesn't really accept me for who I really am. She still felt like she had to put on this front for mom. Now she did reconcile the relationship and she felt good about that relationship for as far as it could go. But she still felt empty with this relationship in the sense that she wasn't really fully accepted for who she was. Now this is an important thing for us to really think about, whether it's because of our own relationships with our own parents, or maybe uh, just our own relationship with uh, our own family, or maybe it's, maybe it's something that we need to think about with our kids and how we interact with them. What's important to re remember is that God 
knows you, every aspect of you, the good and the bad, and he accepts you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to, uh, to develop maturity and make wise decisions. He wants you to have a healthy life and to thrive and to flourish in the way that he intends for you. But he knows you and accepts you and brings you into his fold. Regardless of your behavior, he still loves you. Regardless of your poor choices, he still loves you and accepts you. He knows that about you. And now here's a, a question just for us to turn back on ourselves. Do you know yourself? God knows you, but do you know yourself? Do you know why you make the choices you make? Do you know why you've fallen into these habits? Have you thought about why you think the way you think or why you have this kind of relationship with this person? Do you know yourself? I have a few things to maybe encourage you to think about, some, some, some ideas for you to do that might be helpful as you move into this new year and think about a new you. Number one, try learning about your personality a little bit. Have you ever taken a personality inventory, a test, done anything like that? Some people are against them, and I understand that. But have you really thought about how to understand why your personality is the way it is? Are you extroverted? Are you introverted? Are you more task-oriented? Are you more relationally oriented? What motivates you? Are you motivated by uh, achievement? Are you motivated by relationships? Are you motivated by adventure? Uh, what is it about your personality that, uh, that leads you to do the things you do? How does your personality respond to other people when you're under stress? Personality type uh, inventories or tests will help you understand those things, and they're helpful. So consider learning more about your personality. If you want to if you want some suggestions for, or some, you want to talk about personality tests, uh, you can see me anytime afterwards. Here's another one that's interesting that I found very helpful for me personally. And that's a family, uh, to learn about your family of origin. To really think about, and when I say family of origin, I'm referring to my growing up years as a, as a kid and what my family was like and how that impacts me today as an adult, but also even further back than that, my family's extended family, my, their, my cousins, my parents' siblings, and how it shaped them and how they parented us. Very helpful, and a tool to help you with unpacking your family of origin is called a family genogram. Now, I don't know if you've ever exercised one of these or if you ever thought about it, but a genogram is a way of looking at relationships in your family and how they have impacted one another. Now, a genogram, uh, there are ways of recognizing if there's divorce, if there's been abuse, if there's been health crisis, uh, are there, 
how often is there a divorce in your family? How often are there, is there sickness and how that impacts your family? What kind of relationships do people have with one another? It's a helpful tool. Now, it, take it for what it's worth. I found it to be very helpful for me in, in gaining better self-awareness and understanding why I am who I am today. You might find it helpful as well. If you're a part of a life group, um, I have this as part of uh, a link to a genogram and how to do a genogram as part of the discussion for this particular week. You could find more information there. If you want to, you can just go and Google family genogram and it would help you. The other area that I'd like to encourage you to think about, here's a possibility for you to gain more self-awareness, understanding yourself, and working on your new you, is for some people, not all people, but for some of us, you might need to learn more about the shame that has shaped your view of who God is and who you are. And a great book to help you work through that is this one that I referred to earlier. It's called Tired of Trying to Measure Up by Jeff Ben Vondren. He was a pastor at a church up in the, the Twin Cities. And uh, it's a very helpful book to help you think through how perhaps shame has shaped your way of thinking of the world, your way of thinking of others and interacting with others, and how you see yourself, and how God has grace for you, and how the grace of God not only provides the relief that we need from that shame, but helps you break the shame cycle in your life, and to embrace that grace for yourself and share it more maturely with others around you. Now the hope is, the trust is, the promise of Scripture here is that when we know that we're known and that we're still accepted by God, even though He knows everything about us and we're still accepted, that's when we can really begin to accept ourselves and live a stronger, healthier life. Now, over these weeks, we're going to build each week. It's kind of a progression. And this is kind of a base foundation that we're going to start with. You are known. You can say that about yourself. I am known. Every part of me. And God still loves me. And we're going to talk about next week, more in depth, about that love that God has for you. And I pray that if you haven't truly embraced God knowing you and his acceptance of you and acceptance for yourself. That's my prayer for you today.